Uh, welcome to our Olympic pod special. It is summer games, things are rocking in Rio, and we are here to talk about all the legal fallout that's happening. Because um, crime never rests, <laughs> not even during the Olympics. Nope, not even when it's like the happiest time on earth. There's so many people. People are just crying from happiness and the agony of defeat and all of that stuff. Or maybe the fumes of the trash that is settled on top of the bay where all of the water sports are taking place in Rio, but... Nonetheless. Yeah. Uh. So gross. <laughs> um, so they started um, last Friday and with pretty spectacular opening ceremonies. Um, I actually missed the lighting portion of the, of the flame, but I saw most of it. I did fast forward through a lot. I did like the, um, the fact that the Portuguese alphabet is different than our like Roman alphabet. So that's why the United States was so like early on. Cause normally oh. we have to wait till almost the end to see the United States, but like they came, I think before Estonia or something like oh, that. Oh, I wonder if it's because the, in other languages, like state starts with the letter E. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So I thought that was pretty good. Interesting. Yeah. yeah, I didn't get to watch the um, opening ceremonies as I was traveling back from a work trip um, to another part of the state. Um, and I have very uh, strong feelings about Giselle Bunchen, so I wasn't super excited to see her uh, participating. Well, uh, okay, so I'm confused. Do because she's married to Tom Brady, who would be your favorite quarterback. Right, right, except they have not won a Super Bowl since he dumped Bridget Moynihan and got together um, with Giselle. And I know it makes me a bad woman and feminist to in any way blame her for that. But listen, there's causation, or excuse me, there's correlation, <laughs> if not causation. And uh, he was he was a he was a winner when he was with Bridget. Is all I'm saying. So. <laughs> Um, but I had been following kind of the lead up to the games um, where they um, seem to be having a lot of incidents, I guess is the nicest way to put it. The shooting of the Jaguar who was... Oh, yes, at the uh, ceremonial... Ceremonial uh, torch lighting mm -hmm. and then shooting people with rubber bullets to get them out of the way of the torch relay through the streets of Rio. And the fact that the torch was snuffed out at one point because of protests. Right, um, and not to kind of... Uh, advertise for other podcasts, but um, On the Media, which is an NPR-affiliated um, podcast, did a wonderful story about journalism in Brazil and sort of all the corruption that's going on down there, mm -hmm. not to take away from their great shining moment, and things seem to be going pretty well, uh, but if you have any interest in getting some more info on um, the what's been going on in Brazil for, I think, years at this point, mm -hmm. um, go ahead and check out On the Media. Um, I think that's probably one of the things that has struck me most about these particular Olympics, and I know that people have grumbled in years past about facilities not being ready in time, and um, I mean, I know Sochi was one of the ones that, I mean, it doesn't even snow there. It's a summer resort, and they had to, like, you know, whether or not they'd have to create snow to to make it an Olympic or Winter, Winter Olympics, Olympics. Uh, forum, and, um, and I know that in years past, like, some of the Commonwealth Games are also plagued with, like, construction issues, I think. Um, one recent one where it was in India and there were like similar um, like Olympic village issues but um, I think that because the Olympics are in Brazil that a lot of the comparison or the inequities between like throwing all of this public money to stadiums and facilities that will probably be used one time versus you have people living in like abject poverty like right next door and um, so I know that the Guardian has had um, quite a number of articles sort of 
you know, featuring this inequity and and a lot of talk about kind of destruction of businesses and mm-hmm. homes in order to put yeah. up Olympic facilities yeah. um, and just trying to kind of force this on people who, um, you know, believe that this money could probably have been better spent mm-hmm. helping the um, re- citizens of Brazil yeah. as opposed to building giant stadiums that may never be used again. Yes, and they, I mean, and they are also in the middle of a lot of political turmoil, right? Their president has been yes. ousted. Gilma. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. And replaced with somebody who I think is known to be even more corrupt than she allegedly was. So, uh, yeah. so they've got some turmoil down in Brazil, but thus far, other than I think a um, kayaker crashing into a sofa that was floating in the water, which is disturbing, um, it seems like things have been going along pretty well. Have you noticed that there are um, lots of empty seats at events? Because the few that I've seen, I've seen lots of empty seats, but I also tend to watch more of the esoteric sports. Like, I was way into table te- watching table tennis for 20 minutes, and I didn't see a ton of people in there, but it's yeah, I think table the, tennis. I think the only sport that I've watched that's not something that I think a lot of people would be into is handball. Mm-hmm. Um, and they focus really on the court. You don't really see the seating. Mm-hmm. Um, it does seem like the swimming venue is totally packed. Okay. Um, and I think... The gymnastics venue again. It's mo- you're mostly looking like at the floor, so it's mm-hmm. hard to see like um, up in the rafters if it's filled or not. Right, yeah. but it's at least in the kind of lower bowl. There seems to be a lot of people there, but that could be because they are very popular sports, so everyone would kind mm-hmm. of congregate there. It'll be interesting once the track and field starts because I think that's usually like the largest venue that they are um, yeah. dealing with. So. So, as we said, just because the Olympics are happening doesn't mean that uh, the world is exempt from athletes doing dumb things. Um, So we're going to start with uh, these two boxers who have been arrested and placed into Brazilian jail for sexually assaulting um, housekeepers in the Olympic Village. Right. So um, the first arrest took place on Saturday. Um, Hassan Sada, excuse me, took place on Friday. Um, Hassan Sada, a boxer from Morocco, was arrested for um, trying to forcibly kiss two Brazilian women in the um, Moroccan section of the Olympic Village. Um, He was arrested and is now um, in jail for, I think, up to 15 days uh, waiting or some kind of hearing to take place um, about his alleged assault. Yeah, so I think um, one of the articles I read was, like, they have 15 days to sort of gather evidence. So he, I don't know if it's a hearing or the charges that he'll be facing. Right, I'm looking now, um, and again, this could be that you've got U.S. news sources reporting on the Brazilian court system, so the details may be lacking for that reason, but it does say that he'll be held for 15 days Um, without going into much detail, um, and that the arrest was made on an order by um, a judge based in a Rio de Janeiro state court that has been created for large events. Um, It was created back in 2013. um, For a World Cup? Yes. um, And the court will have, it says, seven outposts during the summer games. Um, And I guess the attack took place last Wednesday. And again, they were two Brazilian women who were working as housekeepers in the Olympic Village that he allegedly assaulted. Um, So he's in jail. And then over the weekend, um, a second boxer, Jonas Junius from Namibia, um, was arrested, it appears, on Sunday. 
um, for sexually assaulting a um, Brazilian housekeeper who was working in the Olympic Village. He apparently attempted to grab her and kiss her and then offered her money for sex. Um, and so he was, he's now sitting in Brazilian prison for this 15 day waiting period. <laughs> we'll see what happens. Um, and, and both of them had fights scheduled during the 15 day period in which they're sitting in prison. So I think in one of the articles I read, the, they will obviously be in default of not showing up for their match, but I think they call them walkovers. I don't know if that's a... Yes, I saw that as well. I guess because you, you step over somebody who yeah. you knock out. I I'm not know. really sure. We might have to like talk, confer with our boxing experts. <laughs> but yeah, there was a walkover as opposed to just being like a default. Forfeit, yeah, or yeah. forfeit. Yeah. Um, particularly embarrassing, I think, from Namibia for Namibia is the yes. fact that the boxer, um, Mr. Genius, uh, was their flag bearer yeah. in the opening ceremonies. That and is quite embarrassing. Now he's... A sexual assaulter so <laughs> sitting in prison and missing out on like i'm sure olympic dreams and you know being successful in the olympics for a lot of people does translate to like money and endorsements even in home countries like namibia or morocco and it's not just weedy boxes in america or something right and you know this kind of brings to mind um there's a canadian olympic kayaker adam vancouverman i think is his name and he was uh talking on twitter about how shocked he was that all of kind of these famous golfers and basketball players were just dropping out of the olympics for fear of the zika virus mm -hmm. and his response was you know kind of do these people not have dreams like how can you just walk away from your dream um i suppose for a lebron james he's got bigger dreams than playing the olympics mm -hmm. and probably doesn't want to catch a disease that could potentially make him and his wife quite sick mm -hmm. um but, you know, a lot of people kind of responded to this kayaker being like, well, they don't want to get ill. But, you know, the fact that here's someone who would put, acknowledging he's putting his health at risk to participate in the games. Um, these are huge dreams. You've spent your life trying to mm -hmm. achieve this and, you know, putting yourself in harm's way potentially. And then these two guys um, appear to have thrown it all away for no apparent reason. Yeah, for no, yeah, um, for <laughs> terrible, terrible reasons. reasons. Um, so, sorry for that tangent about Olympic dreams, but it's, I guess you never know what goes on in the mind of somebody who breaks the law, but this just seems like a horrible series of decisions by yeah, these two guys. Yeah, I mean, something that would have been easily avoidable. Right. You know? yeah. um, something else that was probably easily avoidable is the Dutch gymnast who was sent home by the Dutch Federation today for violating one of their um, team rules, which was drinking. Which, I'll admit, shocked me about the Dutch team. Um, not necessarily, I suppose it's no reflection on the actual Dutch citizens, but, you know, you think the Netherlands, you think Amsterdam, you think partying. So mm -hmm. the fact that they have a very strict rule about no drinking during competitions um, was a little surprising to me. I mean, Heineken House was like a thing <laughs> for all of the, winter the past few Winter Olympics. Um, but in any event, Yuri Van Gelder... Um, he qualified for the uh, to participate in the rings um, event, mm -hmm. men's gymnastics. He was previously uh, banned from the sport for using cocaine. I think that was back in 2009. Went to rehab, got himself clean, um, but now he's home. Yeah. Um, for going out one night and drinking during the competition in Rio. And I wonder if he, um, and I don't know if it's a, like a zero tolerance policy for any Dutch athlete or if he, there were like special circumstances because he had been banned previously. And um, so, I mean, obviously we don't have any of those details, but 
uh, again, a way that you could have easily avoided such behavior and throwing away this dream that you might have had as a small child. Seems. It's really sad. Lots of bad decision making. I think that's kind of the common theme of the stories mm-hmm. that we talk about on this podcast. It's just bad people making. making bad decisions. Um, why they do it, we don't know. Um, <laughs> well, speaking of a bad decision uh, leading into like good decision making, um, Lily King, who is a United States swimmer, has come out in recent days and has been fo- quite vocal about her disdain for athletes who dope. Um, she got into sort of a war of words with Yulia Efimova, <laughs> who is a Russian swimmer who I believe it was in 2013 was found to have used a banned substance and was suspended from swimming for 16 months. More recently, she tested positive for um, meldonium, which is the same banned substance that got Maria Sharapova suspended from tennis for two years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I Apparently, well, before I get there, she was banned from Rio based on this positive test. She appealed to the court of appeals for sport Mm -hmm. it's like the world sport court of appeals or something which is apparently in constant is in constant session during (laughs) the real olympics um and she appealed on the basis that she tested positive um before meldonium was put on the banned substance list and i believe that that's how she won her appeal Mm -hmm. and was informed i guess on saturday that she was going to be able to compete on sunday in rio um so appropriately admittedly uh convicted is not the right word but you know found to have used a banned Mm -hmm. substance a few years ago admittedly used meldonium i think but is arguing well i can't be banned because it wasn't on the banned substance list when i used it um nonetheless she is in rio and she is competing and uh, this is much to the ire of lily king um who as a terrible uh, young athlete, my key skill was trash talking. So I adore a good trash talker, and Lily King is my new hero. Oh, trash talker from the Boston area. Big surprise. Yeah. <laughs> Unlike Lily King, I did not have the skills to back up my trash talking. Um, so, yeah, it started off on Sunday where um, Yulia Efimova won her heat, and when she finished the race, she stuck her finger up in the air like I'm number one flashback to Lily King standing, I don't know what they call that room that they all hang out in before they go and race. I like to think of it as backstage. (laughs) I'm calling it the green room. Um, And she, Lily King shook her finger at the TV screen when she was asked about it later. Her response was, you know, she sticks her finger up in the air and she's a drug cheat. I'm just not a real fan. Last night was the final of the race. Lily King and um, Efimova were in lanes right next to one another. <laughs> and it was a very exciting race. I believe it's the 100-meter breaststroke. And Lily King beat Efimova by like three one-hundredths of a second wow. or something. Just outreached her and then was like shaking her, sticking her <laughs> finger up in the air. And it was just phenomenal. And I'm so glad that she won. Um, a, she's from America, and I only become patriotic for two weeks every two years during the Olympics. Um, and also... It's got to be hard because it does seem like there are these widespread drug abuses in a lot of Olympic sports. Yes. Um, there's, which we'll get into in a minute, um, kind of a, a state, sp- there's allegations that the Russian Sports Federation has sort of a state-sponsored drug enhancement mm-hmm. program. Um, and cover-up program. And cover-up, yes. 
But to be an athlete who, you know, is just working super hard and trying to do it without using any kind of pharmaceutical enhancements, mm -hmm. it's got to be really frustrating. And um, it does seem like a lot of people kind of quietly mumble and grumble about um, the unfairness of all of this. So mm -hmm. it was good to see somebody coming right out and being like, this is complete bullshit and she should not be here and I'm not going to pretend yeah. like it's okay. Um, and, you know, and to Lily King's credit, she is pretty consistent across the board in her criticism of athletes who dope because she thinks that uh, Justin Gatlin yeah. shouldn't be running either and he's a US runner. Um, I do, my one concern that I have is that that, you know, in circumstances we've seen professional athletes who come out and swear they've never done anything illegal or doped or used PEDs and Lance Armstrong and like <laughs> Oprah Winfrey <laughs> like interviews later and like there goes seven Tour de France's or Ryan Braun or because didn't he wasn't he also very much like I didn't, I didn't do this yes. yes and the reason why he got off was because of a technicality because urine samples in fridges. <laughs> Such a disgusting story, yeah, that apparently the guy left his urine sample sitting in a desk drawer. As opposed <laughs> to the fridge. Ugh. <laughs> um, yeah, that does seem like it could be a, hopefully not, but a situation of yeah. the lady doth protest yes. too much. And uh, again, really, I have high hopes for Lily King and her cleanness, and I just... But I don't know that athletes get the benefit of the doubt anymore. Right, and that's a, you know it's a good point to bring up because there is another athlete, um, a female, a woman swimmer, Katinka Hosu from Hungary, who I'll say the coverage of her is very frustrating to me because she is married to this kind of loud, obnoxious American. Well, I don't know that he is in fact obnoxious, but he comes across as obnoxious on TV. Um, but uh, she competed in 2012, lost. It was devastating. She went to a deep depression. She married this guy who was also her coach. Um, and he, there are allegations that he um, is verbally abusive to her during training, which she has acknowledged that he is kind of aggressive and, you know, uh, mm -hmm. I guess her, her point is that it can seem like he's, um, I guess, being abusive from the an from, outsider's from an outside view. Mm -hmm. um, but that he's very nice to her when they're home and just being husband and wife, not like athlete and coach. Anyway, they keep flashing to this dude, screaming and yelling, and trying to give him all the credit for her winning, which I find very irritating. Um, however, there have since been allegations that beyond, you know, whatever her husband, coach, has been doing, that she is taking um, oh. some kind of banned substance in order to... Um, do so well at these Olympics because she has been destroying people um, and she's competing much like Michael Phelps has in previous Olympics competing in a ton of different events mm -hmm. she said that um, the rationale behind that is that if she is competing in multiple events she's not going to put that much weight on winning one so mentally it's better for her to compete in multiple events yeah. um, but I think to your point people are jumping to the conclusion that because she's swimming so much better than all of the other competitors mm -hmm. that she's got to be cheating. Yeah. Whereas it could just be hard work. Hard work or the fact that she's a different mental attitude or right. what have you. I mean, or the fact that she's afraid that her husband's going to beat her up <laughs> afterwards. I didn't say that he would, I'm sure. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm like, sure it's all fine. <laughs> Katie Ledecky, who's amazing. She smashed her own record by two whole seconds. Right. Right. I mean, that to me, like, Granted, it was 400 meters, so it was a longer race, but I'm sure that is a significant amount of time in which to smash, like, a, a pre-existing record. And right, and 
I think it, uh, Hosu beat, in one of the races that she won, she beat, like, the next closest competitor by, like, five seconds. Mm-hmm. Like, it was huge, yeah. the margin of victory. Um, so we're not saying that any of these individuals are, in fact, um, taking performance-enhancing drugs. But, again, I think just given the day and age in which we live and the fact that we are constantly disappointed by our sports stars that it's it's not surprising that your mind kind of does go there like rather quickly um and that sort of leads into the fact that like russia as a country has engaged in state-sponsored doping and a cover-up and uh you know this goes up to like the highest levels of government the kgb was involved and you know clean their dirty samples were swapped out with clean samples like under the cover of night and it's just crazy cloak and dagger shit and i believe it first came to light because there was a russian track athlete who was living in the states who was acting as a whistleblower she promptly was told she could not compete in the olympic games um ultimately i think by the united states or by russia by the ioc the international olympic committee um now she and her husband are allegedly in hiding somewhere in the united states she was invited to um show up at the olympics and sit with the um, head of the ioc Mm. uh who has done sort of nothing to (laughs) i was going to say why would you want to sit with him he's done Nothing. Um, so it's my understanding the entire track and field team has been banned from the mm-hmm. Olympics. And basically what the IOC decided to do was let each individual sports federation decide what they were going to do with the Russian athletes. Um, mm-hmm. Because in, I think, the thought process of the um, IOC's leadership was that that way, by letting each... Um, sport decide whether there is you know a possibility that the russians could have circumvented their drug testing process it's a the best way they could figure out to protect the potentially innocent russian athletes mm-hmm. um from kind of all getting swept away with the bad guys um i believe like the tennis federation processed this and then within two hours so they were not banning any, any russian athletes because they um so extensively test professional tennis players throughout the season which is why they missed maria sharapova for like years right right i know yeah didn't she say she'd been taking meldonium for like 10 years yeah or something? Mm-hmm. but if it wasn't on a band list until recently then right and i do i'm trying to think back to that whole incident and i believe that was part of her issue was that it hadn't been a banned substance mm-hmm. then it became banned yeah um um, but that the IOC's actions are contrasted with what the International Paralympic Committee did, which is ban all Russian Paralympic Olympians. Which I will say, when I initially read that story, I thought it was super discriminatory. Like, why are we picking on the um, uh, disabled athletes as opposed to the able-bodied athletes, letting them compete mm-hmm. if they all cheated? Um, but, you know, I guess there's different governing bodies, so it makes sense that they may have come to different conclusions, and it seems like the Paralympic Committee um, may have reached a better conclusion than the IOC since... There has been a lot of criticism of the IOC for failing to ban Russia as a whole country from participating in these games. So I think um, the report that was issued by... Um, Richard McLaren, who's a Canadian lawyer, he's the one who wrote this devastating report about the state-sponsored doping scandal and cover-up. He found that uh, 577 athlete profiles were 
saved. So essentially what had what happened in this doping scandal was that whatever athlete tested positive for a banned substance, that that athlete's profile and test were sent up the chain of command to basically like the highest levels of Russian sport. And this one individual who was appointed by Vladimir Putin would make the determination as to whether or not you would be saved as an athlete or you would be exiled as an athlete. So saved athletes, you base, I mean, I'm not really sure what happened to these saved samples and how they were, um, they were set aside and I don't know, hidden, but these athletes basically wouldn't face any sort of punishment for these uh, positive tests. But if you were exiled, you just face the punishment of whatever like positive test you had. So according to McLaren's report, there were 577 saved um, athletes via the system. 139 of them were from track and field, over 100 weightlifters, and nearly 40 Paralympic sports, and over 20 in wrestling, canoeing, cycling, and swimming. Um, so that was, that was what the profile of the people who were um, at least found in the McLaren report to be saved, or at least somehow hidden from the authorities about their their doping. And I think the allegations are, and this may not have been part of the McLaren report, but that this isn't just an issue that's kind of come up as part of the Rio games, that no. it goes back to Sochi. Um, they, I think there was something, and the details are escaping me as I sit here, but um, looking back at tests that were done for the Rio and the, or sorry, the London and the Beijing games mm -hmm. appeared to be suspicious. So this has been going on since at least 2008. Yeah. So the system, the statewide sponsor, or the state sponsored mm -hmm. doping, um, according to the McLaren report, uh, came from Russia's very poor showing in the Vancouver Winter Olympics in 2010. So even though they're probably suspicious um, test results prior to that, like starting after 2010, it's when basically the state got involved in trying to like rehabilitate their athletes and rehabilitate, I'm using very loosely, <laughs> um, in, in getting them to perform better at these international events so that the medal tables would be more favorable to Russia. I mean, the Russian hockey team was pretty embarrassing in Vancouver, so I can see why they would want to dive in and get involved. Um, yeah, so that's uh, that's just crazy um, that um, this is what's happening um, and that you have people who are probably um, not admitted but like have tested positive for these performance enhancing drugs swimming in lanes next to clean swimmers and or you know jumping off the same vault or you know canoeing down the same <laughs> Like, weird canoe thing. Um, I don't know. The course. Yeah, that's what it's yeah. called, just canoe course. Um, and what's... I guess this isn't really surprising, but the Russian athletes, to the extent they've been talking about it, have really taken the position, I think the government has as well, um, that this is some kind of grand conspiracy mm -hmm. because everybody hates Russia. Yeah. So, uh, circling back to Yulia Efimova, um, she had a press conference after winning. She won the silver medal last night. Um, was beat by Lily King and um, you know she basically said she understands why people wouldn't congratulate her because the media is full of fake stories um, but she doesn't understand why people are trying to restart the Cold War that's a quote I'm not making that up uh, <laughs> and then she you know went on to basically say I I admit that I, I made a mistake in the past and I served my time for it um, you know, this time around, it wasn't my fault. Meldonium, basically, it wasn't a banned substance at the time mm -hmm. that I used it. 
Um, and I think her quote here was, if WADA says tomorrow that they're banning yogurt or animal protein or stuff that other people use, and they ban this and you stop, what happens next? This comes out of your body for six months, and if doping control comes after two months and it's still in your body, is this your fault? Um, which I guess is kind of a fair point, you know, that if she used this stuff when it wasn't banned and she mm -hmm. stopped after it was banned, you know, I guess things can take a while to get out of your system. So is it really fair to hold her responsible for that? I don't know. <laughs> um, you know, I remember, I think when I was in, I want to say it was around um, the time of like Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa. And mm -hmm. they were talking about how, oh, we don't use steroids. We just use creatine. Yeah. <laughs> and everybody was using creatine. It wasn't banned, but oh, it still seemed yeah. like it was, you know, somewhat performance enhancing. Mm -hmm. Like, is that Oh, or the fact fair? that like baseball players for years use amphetamines to like go get through the season. Right. Or Kobe Bryant gets placenta shot into his <laughs> kneecaps. And recirculate. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Or maybe it was plasma. I think it's plasma. Yeah. I don't think it was placenta. I mean, people eat their placenta, so I think there are plenty of odd uses for it, but yes. maybe just not with Kobe Bryant. Yeah, but no, yeah. I think it's the plasma <laughs> recirculator. Um, so, you know, I, I guess to the extent she's telling the truth, and she used this when it wasn't banned, once mm -hmm. it was banned, she stopped using it, and it just so happened that the testing took place while there were still remnants mm -hmm. of this banned substance in her body, but she didn't continue using it after it was banned. I mean, I have a modicum of sympathy for her, but. Um, I don't think this is some grand conspiracy against the country of Russia to make them look bad. They're clearly capable of doing that on their own. Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> I think that plays into like a, a long-standing Russian narrative about like conspiracies by the West against them, and um, you know, I think that's playing out in just our general politics today. So, um, I it's one of the things that I read that I thought was really interesting was that so McLaren relied on um, a doctor who was deeply involved with one of the, I want to say, he was a doctor for a lot of the athletes, um, and he basically had come up with like a Russian cocktail of banned substances, and it um, included three different kinds, and which he mixed with alcohol to improve its absorption into um, the bloodstream. And it also shortens the detection window. So you don't actually, according to what I've read, you don't actually swallow or imbibe these drugs and the alcohol. You just like swish it around and it's just absorbed in your mouth. And oh. so um, so you get the benefits of it, but it doesn't stay in your system for as long. But for some weird reason, when it was administered to men, it was dissolved. The drug cocktail was dissolved in Chivas. But when it was provided to women, it was dissolved in vermouth. And I don't know if that's if that has anything to do with how men there's and women. There's a scientific reason yeah, for that. Yeah, there's a scientific or... reason for that, or they just thought that women would drink shivas. I don't know. I just thought that was such a weird distinction to be made. But I mean, maybe I will just have to read further in the McLaren report to say. Yeah, that's interesting. I so. I didn't realize that, like, you could drink vermouth just as a drink. I always thought it was kind of something you mixed in with other mm -hmm. stuff. And then I visited France, and they just straight up drink vermouth, which yeah. seemed a little weird to me, but I guess that's a thing in, in Europe. So, well, they don't drink it. They just swish it in their mouths well, like they're doing a wine tasting. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, and I think I... I it may have been the woman, um, the whistleblower, who was banned from competing in Rio, but um, I think that I... I read somewhere that there was an athlete who was caught 
using alcohol to basically dilute their blood so that the drugs wouldn't show mm -hmm. up. So I don't know if it was part of the same program or if the alcohol was just a delivery system and using it to kind of dilute your test results is a different issue. So actually um, it, it is used to di not dilute your test results, but um, so what part of the state sponsored doping uh, cover up would be you would uh, provide clean samples in the windows in which you were clean and you would freeze them. Oh. And when they were switched out late at night in Sochi, they would switch out with the frozen samples, but you had to add, I think, alcohol to them to bring them up to the same sort of like um, state of liquefaction or like, so you wouldn't notice that this was a previously frozen sample as compared to someone who just given you their Got sample it. that day. So yeah, it's really, really scientific and deep. Like, that's, yeah, I think that's been a problem that the um, drug testing associations have been talking about for a long time is that the sort of the, the banned substances are always a step ahead of their mm -hmm. testing processes. Yeah. I think that's something that I'm not sure if you've dealt with in your practice, but I know I've had issues come up at the negotiating table where we're trying to nail down a drug testing policy oh. and there's a lack of confidence in the types of drug mm -hmm. tests that we would engage in, you know, blood testing, urine testing, hair mm -hmm. analysis. Yeah. Um, so uh, it's not just limited to Olympic athletes. It's an issue facing people in at our, their jobs every day. That's right. Um, yeah, I mean, I know that it's a big problem in our, like, the NFL and the in baseball and hockey because you're right. It's always, like, your testing methods are not keeping pace with, like, the different ways in which scientists or pe people like Balco will go to create designer drugs for performance enhancement. Yeah. And then you have people like Jose Theodore, formerly of the Montreal Canadiens, who had to publicly admit that he was losing his hair and using Rogaine, which is apparently something in Rogaine is a banned substance. I believe it's used as a masking agent <laughs> um, to hide the drugs. So he, I think, had to sit out... I shouldn't tell these stories off the top of my head because I can't <laughs> remember exactly what happened to him if he had to sit out from the Olympics or... Um, a couple games in the NHL, yeah. but he... It wasn't, like, obvious to people that he was losing his... He had his very name. long, luxurious locks, and I think he was starting to lose them, but had oh. enough hair to kind of comb Covered. over, so it wasn't super obvious. Yeah, okay, that's um, fair. So, yeah, but he seemed pretty humiliated, <laughs> so I don't know why he needed to be punished further than having <laughs> to publicly admit that he was losing his hair, but... Nonetheless. Nonetheless. I mean, if you have to explain, though, why you are why you have a banned substance in your system, it's, I would rather say that I'm losing my hair versus, you know, what Manny Ramirez did. He was taking, was it Manny Ramirez and his female hormones? Yes. Told, yeah. Yes, Manny, Manny Ramirez was taking, yeah, some kind of female hormones. Ugh. As a masking agent. So um, so that's our Olympic coverage for the week. I mean, it's only been, they've only been going on for like five days and we have had plenty to talk about. Yeah. Um, hopefully nobody else will get arrested in Rio. Yeah. Um, but I don't think this Russian doping story is going away anytime soon. Although I think the swimming ends the first week and then the second week is track, track and field, field and, and they if, won't be there. Yeah. So um, yeah. And there won't be there at the Paralympics. So it, it actually yeah. might 
it might I, but, go away. <laughs> um, but I'm sure it won't go away just in world sport. Um, so we might be back next week with the wrap-up of the Olympics, but we also have football starting, both American football and European football starting. And um, and Tim Tebow, speaking of bad decisions, um, <laughs> Tim Tebow has decided that he wants to play professional baseball. So are you saying that that's a bad decision? I think Tim Tebow just needs to go home. Okay, so that's, um. that's fair. But I think about... Um, so one of the starting pitchers on the San Francisco Giants is Jeff Samarja, oh, who played football with Brady Quinn at Notre Dame, and he was great at Notre Dame as a wide receiver. Um, and so Brady Quinn went into the NFL draft. I don't think he's played football in like six years, but Jeff Samarja. I believe he is engaged to a former Olympic he gymnast, is. though. He is. He is that. <laughs> but, um, you know, Jeff Samarja is still out there making tons of guaranteed money. And so, I mean, his career as a baseball player is like far exceeded like anybody that he played football with at Notre Dame, I think. Yeah. And I guess with Tim Tebow, maybe because he was such a kind of renowned football player Mm -hmm. and didn't immediately choose to play baseball. um, I'm not aware of him being any good at baseball. I recall whatever bowl game Brady Quinn and Jeff Samarja played in, they were talking about him getting drafted by the Cubs yeah. and that he was had kind of been known as a really good baseball player. Yeah, I mean, I think that the football was sort of an afterthought for him, but... Um, so this seems a little bit out of left field for Tim Tebow, <laughs> no pun intended, um, but... I guess it'll be interesting to see how things work out for him if he gets drafted, if, or well, I guess he wouldn't get drafted anymore if he gets signed up, by yeah. um, any major league teams. But um, I just, I totally support your Tim Tebow go away position. Tim Tebow go home. <laughs> yes, uh, but I was just just saying that I think for some That's... people, like baseball has worked out as terms of. That's definitely a fair point. It's a good way to make, as you pointed out, guaranteed money guaranteed with money. probably less head trauma. Yeah, less so. head trauma or less overall body trauma. I mean, yes, Tommy John surgery for pitchers, but right. You know. And I don't know that Tim Tebow would be a pitcher. I don't think so either. I, he doesn't look like he's built for pitching. I'll admit, I just saw the headline in the elevator on my way up to work this morning, <laughs> and my immediate reaction was... So not deeply researched. Please go away, Tim Tebow. Um, but yeah, the Michigan, the former Michigan quarterback, Drew Henson, I think mm-hmm. he got drafted by the Yankees, mm-hmm. and then nothing panned out oh. for him, if yeah. I am remembering his story correctly. Yeah. Um, so, so, it can be done. Um, so anyways, we are, we will be back, and um, thanks for listening. Thanks, everybody. Bye.